Today's reading is Luke 7, 36 through 50. It can be found on page 952 of the Bible's next to your seats, as well as on the screen. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave both of them. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears, and she wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The word of the Lord. passage and this section of the catechism, let's begin with a word of prayer. I invite you to join me. Our God of grace, as we come through the doors of this place, from busy lives filled with a variety of experiences and encounters with you this week, or feeling like we don't encounter you. We may come with hurt or we may come with joy. We may come with faith. We may come with great doubt. And from all these places, we all sit in the same boat. That we're more in need of your grace than we want to admit to anyone around us. We're more of a mess than we realize. And yet the story of your grace tells us over and over in the Bible that we are more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever imagined. And those two things are simultaneously true. As we enter into the mystery of that grace, we pray that your Holy Spirit would open our ears, that you would speak through my humble words, and that our ears and our hearts would be open to know you better and to taste and experience your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What a, what a fascinating story this morning. Um, with these kind of two main characters uh, in the interaction with Jesus. Um, 
we're in a part of the catechism, the last part of the Heidelberg Catechism, and we're going to cover the whole last part, and obnoxiously, we're going to try to cover it all in one, you know, 20-minute little reflection here. It's the section of the, the, the catechism that has the Ten Commandments in it. So we're talking about obedience, and we're wrestling with, as we get into this topic, how does obedience work? Or put it this way, how does the way I'm living and the life I'm living relate to God saving, forgiving? How does it relate? We have two great examples in the story that make it, make it clear to us that this is what can happen. It's possible for some to be obvious sinners. Their lives... They, Exhibit things where they are hurting others. Um, they are creating pain and wounds um, in ways that are, would be universally accepted. You say, this person over here does that. And anyone you would tell that to would say, oh, that's off. That is terrible. I can't believe they're doing that. So you can have someone like that, an obvious sinner, who can be, it seems almost instantaneously, Welcomed as they make a U-turn with their life, they can be instantaneously welcomed and experience God's favor and come into God's favor. You can have also, so that's person one, you can have also the opposite of that. You can have someone who's an obvious do-gooder that you say to someone, they, they do this, this, and this, and this, and that person says, wow, that person's amazing. You can have this person doing all kinds of good things, constantly conscientious of their life and making good and hard choices from small to big in their life. And yet underneath it all, there can be, it can be exposed that there is greed, anger, lust, impatience, pride, and ego actually driving all that do-gooding. And they can have an encounter we see in Scripture with Jesus in which what they receive is not words of favor but words of judgment. So this... So this is our dilemma as we enter into this topic. It doesn't work the way we think it should work. We expect it to work. Or you could say that our, our um, relationship with God, and in a sense our salvation with God, doesn't work like a kindergarten behavior chart. You've got five stickers this week, Monday through Friday. Here's your cookie. Now you get a cookie. Go home and come back on Monday and try again. Our relationship with God doesn't work like a gumball machine. I put in my quarter. Where's the gumball? And yet we're constantly, you have to admit, if you're going to, I think, enter into this, you have to admit that you are constantly approaching life that way. You're approaching God that way. You're mad at the gumball machine that it's not working right now. I did everything right. God. Where's my reward? Where's my good life? Where's the things I was hoping I would get from you? Where's the things I prayed for last week? Despite our repeated attempts over and over and over, our relationship with God doesn't work this way. It doesn't work like a behavioral balance sheet. So, well, how then does salvation work in the Christian scheme? How does salvation work? And the catechism is here to give us some of an answer just in its very structure of how it's laid out and how it... Uh, tells us something even by just the structure of it. The table of contents move from misery to deliverance to gratitude or sin, salvation, service. 
And so today, as we enter into the section of gratitude, we realize that it comes after. It's the section of obedience. It's the section of doing things, following God's commandments. And it comes after deliverance. And the things I'm about to read from a few questions and answers, not a lot, just to, just to dip into it quickly, they come after Someone theoretically has already learned about how Jesus brings grace and favor to you. And then this is what we read. Since we have been delivered from our misery by grace through Christ without any merit of our own. This is Lord's Day question and answer um, 86 of Lord's Day 32. But yes, question and answer 86. Why then should we do good works if we've already been saved by grace? The answer because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, is also restoring us by his spirit into his image. So that with our whole lives, we may show that we are thankful to God for his benefits. So that he may be praised through us. So that we may be assured of our faith by its fruits. And so that by our godly living, our neighbors may be won over to Christ. And then skipping a couple... And coming to question and answer 89 and 90. What is the dying away of the old self? Answer. To be genuinely sorry for sin and more and more to hate and run away from it. What is the rising to life of the new self? Wholehearted joy in God through Christ. In a love and delight to live according to the will of God. By doing every kind of good work. I I really love that word, delight. I think it says a lot about how we can understand how this all works. Delight. If you look at the story that James read, that has these two characters in it. There's the Pharisee, who's the host of the party and has Jesus over. And there's the woman, who has more delight in Jesus. Seems like the woman. She's got it. She had delight from the grace that comes in Jesus. So all of this, this delight to live for God, this delight to respond, to be a grace responder, comes after you have an encounter with grace. And the order is important. And this is why it, it feels right to us to say, you know, Christianity, you know, we want to be nice and we want to be appreciative and respectful of all other approaches to, to the world and to God. We want to say Christianity certainly is really just like all other religious faiths. It's really all the same, isn't it? Isn't it really all the same? Aren't we doing the same thing? Or maybe we're just taking different paths to the same place. We want to say this. This feels like something that is good to say. And yet on this point of what we're looking at today, it exposes the fact that we just can't say that. I'm not trying to be mean or rude or I'm not trying to say I have the better way. I'm just trying to say that if you're every once in a while with the Christian faith, you, you need to walk around as if it's a car and you need to open up the hood and look inside and see what the engine's doing and whether it's working properly or not. And, and that's kind of what we're doing with this series as we look at things that are a little more like doctrine. And, you, and when you, if you open up the hood of the Christian faith and look inside and you open up all the other ones, all the other options out there, you have to exclaim, stand back and go, this is a totally different kind of motor. This car functions totally differently than everything else. 
And this is why. Because in the Christian faith, you realize if you pop the hood and look inside, that we don't expect to generate God's acceptance through our obedience. Instead, amen, when instead we generate obedience through God's acceptance. And if you switch that around, you have a totally different approach to life. And in fact, I would argue that you, you have to be uh, you have to be more judgmental if you have the other approach, the non-Christian approach. You have to be more judgmental of people. Because in order to get the carrot, in order to get the cookie, you have to get stickers all week. Okay. And so you have to be more judgmental of everyone else because you're following something that says, if I live up. And so you need everyone else to live up. And you need to compare yourself to them. And you need to find out who's ahead. The Bible has some really amazing imageries that I've, images and stories that I really feel bring this out. Jesus pulled two stories really close together. One about a treasure discovered in a field and another about a, a pearl that, he, that is found of great value. And if I was to mash those two stories together into a modern day parable, it would go something like this. And I think it's instructive on the point of obedience. Imagine that you're at a thrift store shopping for clothes and you're there because, not because you're hip and cool and you want to look like the trendy people who have things from, you know, thrift stores. I have a vintage wardrobe. You know, you're not doing it for those reasons. You're doing it because you don't have very much money. You can't afford brand new stuff. And so you're at this thrift store and you're looking along and you need a coat and you take this coat into uh, the corner by the mirror and you put it on. And as you put your hands in the pockets, you feel something in one side and your hand kind of goes through a little crack. And it's like, it's an envelope. It's kind of thick. And you pull it out and look discreetly. And it's full of $100 bills. Just a stack of them. And you do a quick, with your thumb, you calculate. You don't want to be obvious. You've kind of discovered something here and you're not sure what to do. And you flip through a quick calculation and, and you feel there's another thing over here. There's another one. Quick calculation. There's over $50,000 in this coat. And so what you do is you say, now, if I, if I try to take these out and put them in my pocket, someone might see me and think I'm stealing, I'm going to put this coat back on the rack. And you don't have a lot of money, but this coat costs $10. You only have a few dollars in your pocket. The store only takes cash. You run to the ATM store, or ATM. ATM store. It does not exist. It's called a bank. You run, you run to the ATM. You, know, you swipe your card. You put in your code. You get a $20 bill. And you run back to that store. You buy that coat. You put it on as you're walking out the door and you skip and dance your way home. $50,000 in your pocket. Now that's something like what the Christian faith is like. Um, and let me, add, let me add an element to it that really makes it fun. Let's say you're someone who really hates the ATM fee. You know about this fee? Where they charge you money to get your own money. And, let, you know, and let's say you're just, this is your pet peeve is that you go somewhere and they only take cash and you have to do your card and they charge you like $5 you know, to get this. And you hate this. So you rant about it to your friends. Nothing makes you more mad. And when you go out of that thrift store and you go to the ATM and you swipe your card, it's not your bank's ATM. And okay. They're going to charge you $5 to get out this $20 bill. Okay. But you're off to go get this $50,000 coat. <laughs> And so you're like, ha ha, I'll pay that fee five times over. Bring it on, bring on the fee. I've got, why? Now, so 
what is different be- from you between the hour before you went to that thrift store and now when you're at the ATM? What has changed? The only thing that's changed is that a new treasure has come into your life. And now you look at that $5 fee with radically different, with joy and delight. You say, I'll pay that. Gladly pay that. There's something exactly like that in the Christian faith. That when, when a superior treasure comes into your life, it exposes the counterfeit treasures that you're clinging to. You and I walk in through that door this morning into this space, and there are all kinds of things in our lives, and probably for each of us, one or two things rise up to the surface, of things that this is what we're doing in our heart. We're clutching it. We are clutching. We are white-knuckling something in our life. And we've got, in a sense, a sort of scarcity mindset. You know, this is our treasure. And, you know, you better not go at this thing I'm white-knuckling. And it terrifies us that our fingers might relax and we might be called today to release something. terrifies us. And we're walking around worrying if I spend my, if I give my time away a little generously over here, then I won't have enough for myself over here. If I give my money away generously in a certain way that maybe seems to be biblically driven, then there won't be enough left for these plans that I have set that I'm touching. If I can be positive and complimentary to this friend who I actually envy because of some of the things that are going on in their life that I don't have or aren't going on for me, if I can celebrate with them, there won't be any celebration left for me. If they're doing well, then it must be I'm doing less, and I'm doing less well. So we clutch. If I'm honest in this particular part of my life, then it's going to cost me money or cost me a promotion or cost me this. I can't have that. And so I'm not going to take the path of honesty. And basically what I'm doing is I'm walking you through how if you start to look at and let the Ten Commandments get into your life, the kinds of places that the Ten Commandments will get. Remember I said this section has the Ten Commandments in it? In a lot of ways, our sin has to do with worry and fears that relates to our clutching. We're holding on so tight to a treasure. And the treasure of God's love calls out to each of us today, calls out to you, and says, grab hold, grab hold, release, slowly, one finger at a time, release, it's okay. And grab hold, there is a greater treasure that is going to make everything else look silly that you were clutching before once you get your hands on it. But you can't hold both. As long as this hand is like this, you may think, oh, I'll have a little bit of God you know, along with these other things I'm hanging on to, you can't. You can only, you can have only one treasure at the heart of your life. Essentially, often what we end up doing, if you go back to the thrift store, ATM store analogy, um, essentially what we often do is this: we see the coat. Now this is ridiculous because this really is what we do. We see the coat. We go to the ATM. And we see the $5 charge. And we get mad and stomp our feet. And we say, they're asking that of me? Well, no thank you. I am not, no way. I'm not going to be a sucker with this. I'm not going to give away that important treasure that I'm clutching onto. This is actually what we do, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. 
This is a way we interact with God. And the kinds of things that if you have your heart open and your ears open to how God leads us in life, through his word, it will lead you into places that, you, that you're holding on to something ridiculously, some ridiculously small treasure. And yet you say, you know, in a sense, God is saying, my treasure is available. Come, grab hold of my treasure. Just, you know, that piddly little thing that your fingers are clutched, you just... And you can't really grab hold of it until those fingers are pried off of that. So come on, come on. And God's just asking you with some little thing to release. And you say, no. Or you say to someone, maybe a friend or family member is even talking to you about that area of your life. And you say, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Who do you think you are? You think you're perfect? You know, that's, this is none of your business. This is my area over here that I'm in charge of. What we don't realize as we do that is that it's, it's just like that person at the ATM. How ridiculous is that? To not pay the $5 to get the $50,000 waiting for you over there. That's how ridiculous it is. If only we knew. If only we could knew how small this treasure was that we're clinging to. How quickly we would let the blood flow back to our knuckles and to release them. In many ways, this can be something very specific in your life that you're sitting with. That, that you know that God's got spirit is guiding you to look at and to think about. And maybe for a long time this has been part of your story and the Spirit today is saying, and let me encourage you to grab hold of the bigger treasure, to maybe just take, maybe just one small step of trust in a particular area of your life. One very small step, just take a tiny step. You're terrified about it. You've got all this justification built up so that no one can pierce through the defenses. Just let down one little layer of the defenses and let God into an area of life that you have so that his treasure might just blow you away with its value. So in this section of the Catechism, the commandments are elucidated and explained in detail. Can you imagine a church, a community like this, that would look at me and say, Mark, you don't teach and preach enough on the commandments. Give us more commandments. I've never, I haven't had that happen yet. But the catechism actually kind of imagines that that's, if we're experiencing the treasure of God, that's us. We want, we're, we have delight and joy like that woman in the story to find it. I mean, she's, she's basically making up new ways to worship God on the spot. She can't get enough of obedience. She can't get enough of commandments. She's using her hair and she's got perfumes. Like, I'm going to, whatever I got on me, I'm just going to use it to worship God and obey. And treat this person like a king who can tell me what to do. How do you get to that place? By experiencing the incredible treasure of grace. The catechism pictures us doing that. So if, as we're wrapping up here, if you go back, I started at the beginning saying there's, you, know, you can have these two totally different kinds of people. And with respect to the commandments, you can have two types of people. You can have someone who sees the commandments of God as a delight. And then you can have another person who sees the commandments as a drudgery. Which one is more you today? And the person who thinks that they're a drudgery, um, they're not always outside of church. You know, cause, well, that's one option. The commandments are a drudgery, no thanks. Um, you know, you're harshing my mellow with all your Christian teachings, I'm out of here. But there, you can also say, you also find these people in the church. This is a necessary drudgery in order to get the gumball machine to spit me out something. So I'll go through the drudgery. Are the commandments a delight or are they drudgery? Let me just finish with a, a very interesting 
kind of uh, tale. Once upon a time, there was a gardener who grew an enormous carrot. So he took it to his king and said, My lord, this is the greatest carrot I've ever grown or ever will. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. The king was touched and discerned the man's heart. So as he turned to go, to the, to go, the king said, Wait, you are clearly a good steward of the earth. I own a plot of land right next to yours. I want to give it to you freely as a gift so you can garden it all. And the gardener was amazed and delighted and went home rejoicing. But there was a nobleman at the king's court who overheard all this, and he said, My, if that is what you get for a carrot, what if you gave the king something better? So the next day, the nobleman came before the king, and he was leading a handsome black stallion. He bowed low and said, My lord, I breed horses, and this is the greatest horse I've ever bred or ever will. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. But the king discerned his heart and said, thank you, and took the horse and merely dismissed him. The nobleman, nobleman was perplexed, and so the king eventually told him, let me explain. The gardener was giving me the carrot, but you were giving yourself the horse. And there it is, a picture, two pictures really, of our approach to God. What's going on with you in your approach to God? Can you peel your fingers off of your treasure this morning? Maybe your treasure is your good deeds. Can you let your eyes rest on the real treasure? Puzzle over it, marvel over it, delight in it. And can you open your heart and let God do what you can never do on your own? Let's pray. Our God of grace, may these words from Scripture, from the Catechism, and from my mouth plant seeds in our hearts that the incredible dynamite power of your gospel that works so different from all the other ways we want it to work May it just explode in the best way into our hearts and into our lives and may it make its way into the corners that we have so carefully guarded. And may we, if we find transformation in those places, may it lead contagiously to transformation and hope and delight in our entire life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.